Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Ken, coming at you from Indiana. Ooh, coming at you. A little different. I'm yeah. Jeremy, swinging at you from Utah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that you, our dear listeners, are in for a nice, great... This is, this is our largest, longest episode that we've ever done. So, hope you're ready to settle in, kick back, and relax, and enjoy this fantastic conversation we had with Matt Slick. Matt Slick is the founder of CARM.org, that's the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. Great website for any kind of, of questions about Christianity, dealing with, uh, dealing with different cults and religions, and just general questions about the faith and theology doctrine, all sorts of different stuff. It's available there. It's a great resource, recommend it to you. But we had just a conversation that went every different which way you can think of with Matt, which, and it was great. Uh, we talked about everything from his approach to theological triage to UFOs and uh, things of that nature. So we really did run the gamut, but we think you're going to enjoy it. We encourage you, hey, if you tell us what you think. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Send us an email, show at dotheology.com. Send us you a tweet. You think Matt Slick's a crazy person? Give us five stars for that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can reach out to us in all the usual ways. So, all right. After the music, you will hear our interview with the one, the only, Matt Slick. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. Today's guest is an apologist, author, and the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, whose purpose is to equip Christians, defend the faith, and reach the lost for Jesus. He also hosts Matt Slick Live, a weekday radio program that addresses a wide variety of religious topics. To learn more about CARM and to take advantage of the numerous quality resources available designed to help you defend your faith, visit CARM.org. Matt Slick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. God bless. Matt, Karma is now 25 years old. What was the genesis of the website, and how has it evolved over the years? Uh, it started because uh, there was this thing before the Internet. There was something called bulletin boards. This is probably back before you guys were born. I don't know. But uh, and we would what you do is you dial up on those old phones. You hear them in the movies, you know, and we'd get in. You'd type something up, then you'd get off the phone so your wife could make a call. And then you go back a day later or a few hours later and you do the same thing and you see what people said. And so I started writing a lot uh, during that time because you wouldn't, wouldn't want to take time to write it. You wanted to have it ready. So I had a lot of stuff ready from, from seminary and other apologetic stuff. Then this new thing called the Internet got, out, got uh, became a reality about 94. It really started developing. And by 95, uh, it was the talk of the town. 
And so I was getting into forums and discussions and people were asking me questions. I've always had this ability to answer questions and stuff like that and remember things. So uh, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm answering the same thing over and over again. Why don't I just make this website? And so I just invented, I don't want to call it, you know, Christian research apologetics people, but that would be a bad acronym, you know. And <laughs> so we called it, yeah. So we called it CARM, Christian Apologetics <laughs> Research Ministry, not thinking anything. I wish I did a bit, better name, but that's what it is. And uh, so I started putting articles up and I would just say, go here, there's the answer to that. And uh, it was about two years later that I realized, well, wait a minute, this thing is is taking off. And uh, so uh, over the years, you know, uh, we've had 144 million visitors from every single country in the world. We get thousands of emails a week. Uh, we've got uh, around 6,000 articles. And uh, we've got uh, a missionary, full-time missionary in Brazil, full-time missionary in uh, Colombia, a full-time missionary in Malawi. We have a full-time guy in Salt Lake City, actually in Jordan Valley area. Luke Wayne, he's a great guy. And um, so now we're talking about doing this. Uh, I'm on the radio, been on the radio for 16 years, five days a week, and actually two years before that, one day a week. But uh, uh, and then we just taught coincidentally to the station manager network owner guy and uh, who happened to call during our weekly meeting, which I haven't even talked to him in months. And he wants to know if we have a Spanish connection and we have a Spanish version of the CARM site, miapeak.org. And uh, our Spanish guy was there, so they're gonna hook up. So God's just expanding and doing things. And we just released a new CARM version of the site. And if any of you are checking it out, yes, it has problems and bugs, but that's how new sites are. <laughs> And uh, particularly if it's a huge site with lots of stuff in it, like CARM and uh, stuff like that. So there you go. Yeah, That's quick and slick. I'm curious, what are the most popular areas of the CARM site? Are there any particular religious groups or cults that get more traffic than the others? Catholicism and Islam are, are pretty busy. Hmm. Catholicism is an apostate false religion. And uh, anybody who believes in official Roman Catholic theology is not a Christian is on their way to hell. Uh, Islam, of course, is false, and um, uh, so these get a lot. And then atheism is is, a, is also sought out. I do a great deal of work with atheists. Uh, I've written some books on it, but um, uh, that and just general questions. Uh, you know, uh, do dogs go to heaven? You know, just uh, that kind of a thing. And that's where the main range of stuff is. Yeah, I have to add, for those listening who haven't been to the website, there is a great deal of uh, resources there. I mean, do you have any idea how many pages, web pages there are on the CARM site? Are we talking We've, hundreds, thousands? Uh, there's, I think I've written over 5,000 articles or 5,500 mm -hmm. articles. And Luke Wayne's been with us for four or five years. He's written about five or 600 articles. Hmm. Uh, so... The thing about CARM is a lot of people don't know this, but I'm very well versed in Christian theology and not boasting. It's just I've been doing this for 41 years, yeah, I've been, you know, and so it's what I do. And uh, so unlike some other websites out there, we make sure that everything that is written is theologically very precise and very sound and, and biblically based. And uh, 
So what we try and do as an example of something like I'm, I, uh, I believe in the continuation of the charismatic gifts, for example, but you don't have to hold that position to work with us. Uh, we, you know, when we write about that, we would say, for example, some people say this, some people say that there's good arguments on both sides. Here's the verses, make up your own mind. So that's how we handle those kinds of issues uh, because people are diverse and, and uh, we don't claim to have all the answers all the time. Uh, what we do the best we can. And so we're open to having people who don't agree with me and my position theologically in some areas, uh, because I mean, come on, you want to trust, trust some guy named slick on the radio and the web, that that's just not a good thing. So if you go to the statement of faith, you'll see that, uh, it's very, it's lengthy and it's precise, but it's written in such a way that, uh, people of different theological persuasions are just included. And it's okay, you know. So I'm all millennial, and I think you guys are pre-millennial. Okay, fine. I don't care. And and you know, would you if you want to write articles for Carm? Hey, write articles for Carm. You know, uh, that's how it is. Uh, but yet it has to be theologically precise. That's our our thing. And it, incidentally, sorry, I know I'm talking a lot, but Carm is used uh, in reference in seminaries and colleges across America yeah. because and they I, can trust it. I just used it this morning. Um, we you know, had someone reach out to us, my wife and I are from Missouri, had someone reach out to us who's dealing with some Mormon stuff right now, wanted some quick uh, article things that she'd go to. And I, Carm is always one of the first websites. I, if I have an issue, I just Google it and put Carm at the end and go right to the article I need to go to. So uh, very much appreciate it. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. You mentioned your, your daily radio show that you have where it attracts a vast, great diverse listener base, right? A lot of different people coming from a lot of different perspectives, right. believers, unbelievers, people who are hostile to Christianity, people that are curious, yeah. wanting their uh, questions answered. Have you ever gotten stumped on there as you're listening oh, yeah. to things? You're, that you just didn't know how to respond? Oh, yeah. It happens a lot. Uh, you know, what's two plus two? I don't know. I cannot get a calculator up. Uh, no, there's so many questions that can be asked. For the most part, 98% of it I've heard before. But every now and then someone will uh, come up with a question, like a particular verse. And, uh, you know, I don't know the context of it. There's 31,000 verses in the Bible. Last night I was talking on uh, something called Discord and uh, some Muslim got in <laughs> and said, do you know who blah, blah, blah is? I said, I have no idea. Uh, do you know? But he asked like five questions. And my answer each time was, I have no idea what you're even talking about. And so, you know, if you don't know, you just say you don't know. And on the radio, I'll do the same thing. You know, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. And I said, but I can find out or I can get back to you or something like that. So, yeah, it, it happens. Sure. And you don't seem like the type of personality that, that the, uh, the fear of not knowing what you know it's not going to bother you it doesn't seem like you're not going to get nervous about it no 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 no, not at all i'm married and (laughs) you know uh i'll go over to somebody's house you know my guy my friend and i will go we'll go out shooting or something like that and come back did you ask about the curtain colors no well what color curves is i I don't i don't know well what about i don't know and so i'm used to saying i don't know a lot so uh, it it carries over into ministry as well (laughs) my wife didn't hear that because i'll get in trouble uh, now, are you on uh, actual radio stations still? I mean, I know you're doing YouTube Live, fa- and Facebook Live seems yeah. to attract a lot of listeners, but how many radio stations are you on, or where could people listen? How does that work? We're on a radio in the Salt Lake City area in Ohio. So uh, Truth Network, right? In Utah, Truth Network. Okay. Truthnetwork.com. Truthnetwork.com. And I don't know. how I'm, at, I'm around 15 stations I'm on, I think. I, I don't know. I don't really worry about it. Um, on the East Coast... 
and uh, in Carolinas, Georgia, Virginia, I forgot, but it kind of changes. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that for years on this network and um, get a lot of calls from all over. It's great. Now, in addition to radio and uh, writing apologetics work and things like that, you also debate. You also engage in several debates. And I've started to get my feet wet in the world of debating, and I've always found them to be uh, debates to be very instructive. Yes. What do you like about debating in particular, and how have you seen it have a positive impact on the audience? Well, generally an audience has already decided what they're going to believe, and they come in to root for their their, uh, their team. It's very rare that they will switch. But even if, through all of our efforts, one person comes to a better understanding of Christ or comes to Christ, then all of it's worth it. So one of the things that I will participate in debates for the reason and, and impromptu debates is to keep my mind sharp because I'm 64 and the fact is, uh, is, is I'm not as sharp as I used to be. That's just how it is. You're getting older. So I use them to help me keep sharp and to understand new arguments might come in. And it does provide a venue for some people who just like to hear debates and learn that way rather than impromptu conversations. So it's, it has its value. And uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15 to give an answer to everyone who would ask you. So that's that's being consistent with that. And uh, I enjoy them. I've uh, done formal debates with some top atheists, uh, some Catholics, and uh, you know, starting to get into evolution more. And I've done formal debates with Muslims. And uh, even with Christians on, for example, the debate on, on the charismata, charismatic gifts. And I don't really like doing those too much uh, inside the church because, you know, what's the purpose? And this came up for a reason. And I did that. And because um, I'd rather debate unbelievers, you know, about the issues instead of let, let's have I don't want to cause any division in the body of Christ, even though everybody's wrong and I'm right. But uh <laughs> You know, so, you know, it, it's just how it is, you know, when you're yeah. when you're you're slick like me, uh, you have to come up with stupid, arrogant things to say. Yeah, you just you just call it like it is. Right. That's yeah. that's, that's right. That's uh, right. Now, now it, it is interesting, the cultural moment that we're in with this virus. It seems yes. like debates, uh, live debates are off the table for who knows how long. Uh, you have been engaging in some online uh, debates. I, I've I've also participated in the Gospel Truth. Uh, oh, good. Their, uh, that platform that Marlon Wilson has, which is Marlon's a great, great YouTube channel. Uh, people need to check that out. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have a preference on? And I know it's not just the Gospel <laughs> Truth. You've done a ton of online debates too. Do you have a preference of in person or online? Does it make a difference to you? Uh, they're different. Uh, I prefer online because they're quicker and easier, and they don't require as much pre- preparation. If you're going to do a debate in person, uh, for some reason, I'll prep a lot more. So when I debated Dan Barker, a well-known atheist, I read two of his books and listened to a lot of his videos. And uh, because it's going to be formal, an audience filmed, it's just different. And uh, so uh, that did. let's just say that it didn't work out too well with them. And, uh, but when I do impromptu debates, uh, that I prefer those because I like the, the ability to, uh, this is where it's kind of hard to d- describe how to do it, but to discover their presuppositions and find any basis for justification or the lack of justification for their basis. And this is better done in an impromptu discussion. But also in between those, uh, you know, I've done a formal 
online debates uh, on the issue of baptismal regeneration uh, with uh, some heretics who teach that uh, baptism is a requirement for salvation. Uh, you know, some atheists I'll do that with, uh, you know, in their top, uh, respective topics um, and stuff like that. So it is, it's a gambit of it. I prefer, I just like the impromptu discussions that I get into and, and uh, able to uh, answer them. Yeah. Say. Now, now on, on many occasions, you've spoken about the personality dynamics that come up in your interactions with others. Uh, you have spoken about your Asperger's, mm-hmm. and you've been accused of being arrogant and prideful yes. on not a few occasions. Uh, have you found personality issues to be an obstacle in your yes. evangelistic conversations? And have you found a way to get around that or to work through that? Well, um, since you brought that up, uh, a lot of people don't know this. I'll, I'll just say why I'm the way I am is because my dad was in the service. We moved 26 times before I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to I went to 12 different elementary schools. My last name was Slick, and I was also anorexic, which is rare among males. They don't talk about this very often, mm-hmm. but uh, it's very rare. And so when I was 12 years old, I weighed 66 pounds. And when I was 19 years old, I weighed 117 pounds at six feet tall. And I had buck teeth uh, when I was younger, too. So I got tortured a great deal. And uh, I didn't stop having nightmares of being murdered until I was 35. Hmm. Uh, so this is it's a very serious upbringing. And my dad was an alcoholic. And uh, my mom was raised uh, during the Depression. And so the dynamics of damage that can happen to people uh, in a household become, make it become very, very difficult. And then it just discovered that I have Asperger's. And for those who don't know what that is, it's an autism spectrum disorder where people like me don't do well and don't understand social cues. So not knowing that, you could add to that mix in that situation that someone like me could become very, very uh, uh, whacked, uh, it, you know, it's, they didn't have good grounding and things like that. So I got involved in the occult, which is a means of, of gaining power. And anorexia, they say, is a means of controlling an environment uh, and, and stuff. And so, uh, you know, you could imagine. But then I got saved. Well, how I started compensating for Asperger's was studying body language and using humor. Because that's one of the ways that if I can make a joke and I, and they laugh, that I know I'm on the right track. And uh, so I'll use body language like that. And that's how I cope. And so I, my psychologist who diagnosed me, I told him all of this. He said, I'm doing amazingly well considering everything. And so because of that and uh, because I'm not stupid, uh, if I say I'm smart, that sounds arrogant. But, uh, you know, generally Aspie people are smarter, generally, um, my wife might disagree with that, but um, I have this ability to remember numbers and patterns, and so I use it, uh, you know, for the glory of God. And then I'm very confident in what I say. So a lot of times people mistake my confidence for arrogance. If they call me arrogant, I say that's correct. I am. If they call me prideful, I say yes, that's true. If they call me humble, I say uh, if that's possibly true, it's only because of the glory of God. But uh, I'm very confident about what I teach. And uh, I am, uh, because I've been doing this for 41 years, but I also understand I could be wrong about some things. Uh, but, you know, I always pray and God show me. And I just look to the scriptures. And, so you'll, you know, if you hear me on the radio, I'm constantly quoting scripture. You know, it says in this verse in that location, uh, who cares what Matt Slick says? Let's see what the word of God says. So that, that's it. So, yeah, 
that's a justification, not that it makes it okay, but that's why. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been working through that for years. And even at 64, I'm still trying to, to hone those, those rough edges. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know what, what's good? Um, here, I'm going to show you something. This may sound a little bit odd, but see this cup right here is my coffee cup. You see the crack? Uh-huh. It's my favorite coffee cup. I have a bigger one that's got a crack in it also. And the reason it's my favorite, I always look for this one, is because it's a broken vessel. And it's reminiscent of what I am, a broken vessel. And God uses broken vessels for his glory. And if he can use someone like me, then it shows how great he is. But it also shows how desperate things must be out there to have to lower the standard to use someone uh, who's such a... um, a sinful wretch saved by grace. Well, he, he's in the process of confounding the wise, and uh, he takes the weak things and confounds the strong. It's an and, amazing thing. And the foolish things, and I'm, I'm yeah. right there, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of people out there that's, you know, they're not just, they're uh, they're reacting against some of the things that uh, Carm has done online, that you've put out online, some of your articles, and they react in very hostile ways, and they say things that are quite, mean they're nasty they're they're uh, very rude in many ways why do you think people ha- take such delight in trolling karm online because of the doctrine of total depravity which reveals that the nature of man is sinful as a hater of god can do no good i can quote you the references if you guys want <laughs> don't want to bore you but uh, uh but yeah the heart's desperately wicked deceit deceitful jeremiah 17 9 no man seeks for god no man does good romans 3 10 11 and 12 you know what enmity with god ephesians 2 15 etc etc they cannot receive the things of god they're, they're fools in, in their hearts they rebel against god and in the judgment of their unrighteousness romans 1 18 through 32 you can read there the judgment of god upon their heart is that he gives them over to this depravity so we know that this is why they're going to be so hostile because they're they're hating god and in a world of compromise where uh where truth is a bendable shadable commodity uh, where relativism is the truth the way the truth in the life someone like me who comes off confidently and says no, if you don't trust in Jesus Christ, God in flesh who died on the cross and rose from the dead, you don't trust in him alone, not in sacraments, not in baptism, not in anything you can do, but in him alone. If you don't believe and trust in him, you're going to go to eternal damnation. There's no hope. When I speak like that, I have no problem saying it because it's true. And so people will say, well, you're arrogant. That's true, but it has nothing to do with whether or not the statement I said is true. So people are hostile to the truth of God's word. And they're even hostile to the truth of God's word within the Christian church. Hmm. A lot of Christians don't understand biblical theology in a lot of ways. And so I teach them about the heresies that are in the Christian church, like um, the heresy that uh, all you need is a good heart uh, in your sinfulness and that God will just give you a gospel message. And it's up to you to decide to believe in him. That's actually a, a heresy. And but it's taught in most churches across America. When I speak like that, people don't want to talk to me anymore. They think I'm arrogant, truthful. I mean, a, a liar and not truthful. But they don't understand what the truth is. And so in tough times like this, where the gospel is being attacked, where the Internet is full of people who will uh, try and kill you. Uh, and I've had that happen. I've tried. Um, then when you stand for the truth, they're going to hate you all the more. So I've had Satanists say they're going to kill me. Uh, FBI has been involved with some stuff. I was swatted a couple of years ago. I've been followed in my cars. Um, and that's just for the Baptists. 
but you can imagine how bad it is with the unbelievers. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that that sounds about right. The, the indie fundies, though, not not the southern. With the indie not fundies. The indie. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. You know. I don't know. <laughs> so you're saying if we have sound biblical theology, a sound biblical anthropology, we shouldn't be surprised when uh, these these sinful people uh, start barking barking at us, huh? Yeah, outside the church and inside the church. Yeah. The thing is that, uh, and I got a history, and I can explain why, but I believe God has specifically called me to, to equip the body of Christ and to refute error. I'm not saying I'm an apostle. I'm not saying I got all the wisdom and all the knowledge, because I'm certainly uh, wrong about things. I just don't know what they are yet. But uh, <laughs> it's true. And, and it's true. And I ask God, Lord, you know, if I'm teaching something or believing in this, that's that's not true. Please tell me. Uh, because I don't want to mislead anybody. But you know, when the Bible says, for example, in John six sixty five, where Jesus says, no man can come to me unless it's been granted to him from the Father, then I'll say to people, you can't come to Christ unless God the Father grants it to you. And they're going to say, I don't believe that. Well, you just denied Christ. Or uh, they'll say, well, do you believe that God makes people for the purpose of destruction? Yes, I do. <clears throat> I believe God makes people for the purpose of destruction and wickedness. You can't teach that. Yes, I can. I just quoted Proverbs 16:4, which says God makes all things uh, for His own uh, purpose, even the wicked for even the day the, of destruction. Yeah, right. You know, and and they, you know, and I'll set people up. Um, I'll set them up, and, and I'll say, well, I believe that, uh, you know, that that God even, you know, He makes one vessel for honorable use. You know, you know, and I'll say it in, in more general terms. I go, I reject that. These are I'm talking to Christians, mm. and uh, I'll correct them. And they don't like it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tip over their, their idols. You know, two men in the field, one is taken, one is left. You know, that stuff in Matthew uh, 24, Luke 17, they say it's the rapture. It is not the rapture. And uh, I'll prove it to them. And it shakes them up. The rapture does occur. And that's yep. just not the verses for it, those, those, those yep. areas. And I, I just tip people's idols over all the time in the church, outside of the church. And it pisses a lot of people off. Sorry for using the word, but that's a truth. Um, you know. <laughs> Isn't that in the King James Version? Uh, uh, I think so. And I'm thinking of the Greek word scubalon, which means, uh, you know, excrement. Which reminds me is that uh, sometimes I'll say, uh, and so like I said it last night, talking to uh, uh, somebody, I said, well, that, I know where you get that, that, that teaching. That's from the book of uh, Excrementicus. Yeah, I get it. You know. And uh, so... You know, uh, they yeah. have fun with words, and people go, "What did you just say? <laughs> what? What? what you get that?" And then they'll be talking to me, Christians will be talking to me, you know, rip a verse out of context, and I'll go, "Did you hear that?" And they say, "Hear what? That sound? What sound? That ripping sound? You know, like a like a verse being ripped out of context. You didn't hear that when you were quoting scripture." Oh man, what a guy! Uh, <laughs> the one and the only Matt said. Um, scorched Earth policy, like you said yesterday, <laughs> we were talking. That's right. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I want to shake scorched people Earth up. behind you. Well, um, one of the most public uh, displays of the, a non-believer trolling karm or trolling you was your appearance on the daily show a number of yeah. years ago yeah. um do you wish you could go back and redo that experience yes only one part only one thing out of it uh which i had done differently but people don't know about what happened uh so they contacted me and said they wanted me to come out and and talk about homosexuality they, they said they would send a film crew out here to idaho and i said well why me 
because you know you guys are a mocking a liberal show why should i trust you i don't trust you guys and this conversation went on for three different conversations i talked mm-hmm. to my pastor and i talked to dr michael brown don't know if you know who he is mm-hmm. and we talked about it and i've always said we need to take risks uh when discussing things with unbelievers you know going on shows and because you know what they're going to do but if we always say i'm not going to go on, on any show because they might do something i don't like you know that's we can't do that we take risks and so uh, I said to them, okay, I'm, I'm seriously considering it. And then long story short, they said, um, well, well, not gonna f- we'll have to fly you out. And uh, I said, well, let me think about it. And I thought about it. And I, I, I talked to James White too. I can't remember who I talked to, some people. Uh, but at any rate, it doesn't matter. I talked to people and um, uh, I decided to take that risk. So I went out there and I stood outside the building and I had in my pocket an audio recorder that they didn't know about. I turned it on and uh, I recorded the whole thing from from then to when I left, I was walking down the street back to the hotel. And uh, so I went in and I was in there uh, and they said, okay, it'll take about 40 minutes before we get, get you on with Samantha B for the interview. And I said, okay. And oh, and I could go back. I said, I forgot to tell you this part. I said, look, you guys are just going to make me look bad. And they actually said to me on more than one occasion, they said in the phone interviews, they said, we do not want to do that. What we want to do is just get a serious segment. We do serious segments every now and then so we can hear this perspective. And I said, are this is what you want to do? And they said, yes. They reiterated that like three or four times, five, six, seven times maybe, which is why I go, I'll take a chance. <laughs> Lion sex. L socks, lying sack of crap. <laughs> and um, so I'm in this room and then I had to get on in like five more minutes. And that's when I thought about this afterwards. I go, wait a minute. I know what they did. They, they put a piece of paper in my, in my face and said, here, if you don't sign this, you can't go on the air. And it's a thing that they can do this and that. And I was reading through it and halfway through it, it was just generic stuff. Somebody comes in and goes, okay, we're ready to get you on right now. I, they timed it and I scanned through the rest of it and I just, okay, I'll sign it because I'm, I'm here. So we go down into a room and she's there and there's a camera behind me and a camera in front of me. And for two and a half hours, we talked. He said, she said it was the longest she'd ever interviewed anybody for a, a you know, a one, two minute segment <laughs> because I was being very cautious yeah. and uh, I was witnessing and I got the gospel out and the whole bit's on tape and then it ended and then we went for a walk outside and um, some things happened out in film uh, there, there. And she was kind of mocking and she actually stopped traffic and said, we have the great match slick here. Everybody stop. And, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, boy. And uh, so she's ahead. We're walking. The cameraman is behind her with me and we're walking along the sidewalk and uh, heading towards a park. And I'm watching rats go back and forth. And uh, the cameraman said, I want to ask you a question. And he says, it's off camera. I just want to ask you, he says, why do you do this? Why do you do this? And I said, I looked at him and I said, because Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And because he died on the cross for our sins. And you need to trust in Jesus. And if you don't, there's an eternal damnation waiting for you. I said, I don't hate you. Uh, I care about you. It's why I'm here. And I want you to have that message. That you got to trust in him. And uh, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't agree with everything you say. He said, but I appreciate that you, you say that and you care. 
And maybe it was just for him I was out there. I don't know. Well, anyway, the segment uh, aired, and what they did was it's called Frankensteining. They took a, an angle of me saying – camera saying one thing, and then they spliced it together with me saying something else. So it made me look bad and made me say something I did not say. Hmm. And we have the proof of that. And I wrote an article about it and with the audio transcription, and we proved that they uh, they they were deceptive. Hmm. That's what happens. So that you know, it's okay. Yeah. Well, it it got some exposure. <laughs> yeah, it did. Else. Well, and you so, said that there was yeah. one thing that you would you wish you would change. What was that one thing? Well, I remember because uh, I had a friend who was a bisexual guy, and when he got, I was at a gym, and I was in the in the, the jacuzzi, and he got in, and I just knew he was uh, he was he was homosexual, and we ended up becoming friends, uh, and talking, and he ended up leaving that, and be, uh, getting married to a, a woman, and and the whole bit, and she told me that it was because of my friendship and my love towards him that he left. Now all that I told her all of that. And what they did was they took something uh, that I said and then put that – oh, and you got a jacuzzi together. And they put that together and mm-hmm. made that um, – uh, you know, and I could have worded things better. But, you know, for two and a half hours when they're, they're glaring at you and the cameras are on, the lights are on, and they're, you know they're trying, um, that's what it was. So, hey, you know, that's what it is. If that's all they could get after two and a half hours, I, th- I think you did pretty well. <laughs> hey, she heard the gospel, Amen. and the film crew Amen. heard the gospel, right? And and that's it. So there you go. And I gave good answers and good stuff. There was stuff she could not respond to that is never on the, uh, you know, never aired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to shift directions a little bit in our conversation, uh, our podcast is really focused to help Christians we have our phrase, keeping doctrine in its place. We want to help Christians keep doctrine in its place. The primary issues remain primary, secondary issues remain secondary, and doubtful things remain in that third column. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common ways that people get this concept wrong in the world of Christian doctrine? Oh, they raise what's called audiophora to the level of essentials. They don't understand the biblical system by which essentials are made. So, uh, you know, we've talked, uh, I think, uh, Jeremy and I talked about the doctrine grid. It's something that I've, I developed over a few years, and it's on karma. Great many people, not great many, but a lot of people have said it's very, very helpful. And I'm the only one who does what I do th- this way. I have what I call primary essentials and secondary essentials. No one else uses that categorization. It's just me. And uh, the reason I do it is because um, because in my decades of uh, debating with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, Unity, Unitarians, you know, Muslims, whatever, they would say, well, what's the Bible really say are the essential doctrines? And so I started, I discovered, for example, in John 8, 24, Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I realized that that's a statement that is in the Bible that is an essential. And it's a primary essential because there's a warning associated with it. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So Jesus is stating there's a, an essential doctrine. You must believe that he is the I am, okay, God in flesh, or you will die in your sins. So he's the one who stated this. It's not me saying this is an essential. Jesus is saying it's an essential. Well, I noticed that there's things like that, and I'll quote them to you, but there's also stuff like the virgin birth. You really can't justify that Jesus is God in flesh without the virgin birth. 
because if you had a human father, how can he be divine? Then you'd get adoptionism and some other heresies. But the virgin birth is never said to be essential. It never says, unless you believe that the virgin birth occurred, you'll die in your sins. So Matthew 125, you know, Joseph kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. So the virgin birth would be a secondary essential. It's an essential in the sense that you must believe it uh, in the corpus. Not that everyone who gets saved within five minutes has got to believe all these things, you know, but the, the definition of what Christianity is, you must believe that the virgin birth occurred because you really can't justify the hypostatic union, communicatio idiomatum in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. You can't justify that with that. So that's a secondary essential. The Trinity is also a secondary essential, but it's still an essential category because nothing in the Bible says God is one uh, being, uh, uh, one distinct, uh, uh, one being with three distinct simultaneous co-eternal powerful persons. Uh, and so, but the Trinity is a necessary doctrine within Christianity to define what it is. So I call it a secondary essential. Back to the primaries. So the primaries, and I can give you the references, but I'll just go through it quickly without citing everything. The primaries are also uh, that okay, Jesus is God in flesh, the physical resurrection, justification by faith alone, monotheism, and the nature of the gospel. And um, so I look for verses in Scripture that actually say what it is with a warning, hmm. and I call those primaries. And then the secondaries are, uh, you know, the Trinity, uh, essentially the um, virgin birth as an example. The, uh, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's almost one foot in the primary and one foot in the secondary. Because, you know, and so I put it in the secondary, I think, but I might, maybe on next week I might put move it over. But you, you see the issue. And <laughs> These so, things are fluid uh, to a degree. Yeah, there's some things that are a little bit, where would they go? Well, okay, it's just a, it's, it's a device used to help people uh, understand the essentials. And so, for example, I'm all millennial, you guys are premillennial, and I don't care. You know, uh, praise God, let's go witness together, you know. Uh, but if you were to deny that Jesus Christ has gotten flesh, now we got a problem, and I'm going to tackle you. And um, that's how it works. So. Yeah, and you mentioned that word adiaphora. Mm -hmm. uh, let's explore that for a moment, and maybe just looking at your circumstances. Uh, you're a five-point Calvinist. You believe in the continuation of the sign gifts. Yep. You're all millennial. Yep. You think infants should be baptized for covenant reasons, not for salvation, but as a covenant sign, right? Which I could defend, but yeah. And you attend a Calvary Chapel. Yes. So what's wrong with you? A lot of things. <laughs> Uh, let's get my wife in here, and if you want to extend the show by five hours, she can get through the, the A category. Uh, you know, I went to—okay, I was raised up not believing in anything, got involved in the occult. I've had occult experiences and actually seen manifestations, got tricked into being saved uh, in a uh, kind of a charismatic church, and um, bachelored a little bit, but— uh, I, I attended a Lutheran college, a Presbyterian seminary, went to Baptist churches, uh, and then I did pulpit supply in Southern California for years. Uh, you know, I'd preach in different churches twice a day, uh, two, two different churches on Sundays, and sometimes in three different churches in one day. And so in Southern California, there's 22 million people. I learned a great deal that God casts his net further than we do, hmm. and that there are people who love Jesus who are cessationist, who don't believe in the covenantal aspect of, 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 of infant baptism. And that's okay. You know, I, I don't care. Um, 
if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to glorify him, that's what the issue is. And our differences uh, can be a means of demonstrating love and acceptance to, uh, to each other without judgmentalism. If we know what those essentials are, then we can we can unite in those and um, get out there on the street, radio, whatever it is, and, and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll all be corrected when we get to heaven. So why fight about it right now? Uh, you know, so I guess... Yeah, not- I'm not asking you for a prophecy in this question necessarily, but um, do you see persecution coming in this generation or coming soon in America? And do you think that will help to sort out some of these doctrinal differences that we have, that that the true unity will sort of rise out of that as we help each other and see our need for one another, despite our secondary differences? Yeah. I know I'm a little bit verbose, um, there's a lot in my head and heart that I want to talk about and things like that, as well as other topics. But the Christian church has failed miserably in America. Uh, and the reason it's failed is because it's too comfortable and does not hold the word of God and the proper uh, esteem of what it, it is supposed to be. We have false, false heretical teachers on the air like Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, uh, Joel Osteen, who teach uh, crap theology and the, the sheep are being misled. The church is more concerned with its comfort, with its bank account, than with the lost souls. And the church has become divided over the non-essentials, doesn't have the love of Christ flowing through their hearts. And if it's filled in your hearts, it's gonna be other-centered. God's love of the world, he gave. The nature of love is to give. And so uh, we become self-centered and arrogant and uh, lazy. Uh, too many pastors are not preaching the truth of the Word of God. Uh, too many pastors are more concerned with getting numbers in the door and compromising the truth than uh, preaching to equip the Christians, which is what their job is to do, Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. They need to do that. They need to preach to please God and not men. They need to preach to thin the church out. And then the, the Christian church needs to get on its knees and seek the Lord Jesus Christ and have the power of the Holy Spirit move through them so that we can all be unified in our direction of what it means to, to go out there and make disciples of all nations, what Jesus said we're to do, Matthew 28, 19. Because the Christian church is not doing this, it has become lax, it has become weak, and become impure. And so persecution is often sent by God to purify the church. So I sell, tell Christians on the radio, and different venues, you get on your knees voluntarily, or you're gonna get on your knees by force. And the way that, that this works voluntarily is by humility before God, Lord, use me, teach me, shape me, send me. Don't care where I have to go. I don't care what you're gonna do with me. Just do with you, do with me as you desire. That's voluntary. Or persecution comes so hard that the Christian is forced to bend to his knees and finally turn to Jesus and say, please deliver me, please help. And this is what God wants to begin with. So I warn Christians, persecution's coming. I know what persecution is. I've experienced it. Not as much as some and more than others. But if we Christians don't get our act together and start praying against the socialism, communism, leftism, social justice outside uh, the church, and don't clear, clear, clearly teach and preach the truth of the power of the gospel message and to equip the Christians within the church, then that judgment is going to continue to arrive upon us. And uh, Biden 
is uh, and Harris are part of that judgment that is upon our country with the rise in social justice crap and with the idiocy and the filth that's coming forth uh, across uh, the American airwaves and is even being taught in pulpits uh, the heresy of uh, man-centered humanistic theology, and I can give you more examples of it, that's taught in the church. There are heresy and damnable doctrines that are taught in a lot of Protestant churches, and uh, even courting that great whore of Babylon, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the Christian church is weak, anemic, and foul in a lot of areas, it needs to cleanse itself, and the only way to do that is on its knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, begging for forgiveness and moving forward. And as you can see, I'm very adamant about this because I know what the power of God's word can do. And I'm sick and tired of seeing the weak need Christians uh, fight over uh, stuff that they don't need to fight about while the people around them go to hell. It's horrible. See, this is one of the one of my pet peeves with you is that you just never really know what you're thinking. And uh, I tell the and, truth. <laughs> well, uh, no. again, not asking you to be a prophet, but if you have a prediction, I am curious to know what you think might happen uh, with with churches. Do you see local churches having to move from what we've known as these buildings with parking lots to more of a house to house model? I yes. mean. Do, do you think that's coming in America's near mm -hmm. future? If you study Nazi Germany, you'll find out there's a lot of parallels of what's happening there, what happened there to, to now. The government is moving against uh, conservatism. Christianity represents conservatism. The, uh, the Jews were the ones who were uh, gradually over many years uh, made to be the, uh, the perpetrators of, of injustice. This is often the case in movies, radio, where Christians are portrayed as being bigoted, hateful people. Uh, Isaiah 520, beware of those who call good evil and evil good. Because we stand for truth and righteousness, the unbelievers are going to come after us. You already know that this is happening. And uh, I believe that the Christian church, uh, many churches will join in the leftist agenda and compromise and the true Christians are going to be the ones who are going to be persecuted uh, with the cancel culture, critical race theory, social justice, social gospel. And uh, it'll be used to silence us, to remove our rights, and that uh, Christians will uh, be uh, forced to comply in various ways. Uh, and uh, it's going to, I believe it's going to get bad. I'm not saying in the next two months, but the enemy of the gospel wants to destroy the Christian church. And we need to be very, very aware of it. You know, because of what I do for a living, I've experienced a great deal of persecution in varying degrees, even with an attempt in my life. And um, when you stand up for Jesus, the enemy takes notice. And if he's not coming after you, it's probably because he's comfortable with where you are. Hmm. So, the Christian church is going to be purified and divided to the left and to the right. And if you know anything about biblical theology, uh, the judgment day, the left go to hell, people on the right of Christ go to heaven. And also notice this, that when Jesus says, and cast your net on the right side of the fishermen in the Gospels, they catch fish. I'll make you fishers of men, the right side, the elect, the redeemed. We as Christians need to move forward with the power of the Word of God and... Um, stuff. You know, 
normally I don't talk this much, believe it or not. Uh, but there's so much that needs to be said that it, it's just coming out, it's bubbling out. So I apologize. I don't. No, I'm not really this for for both. Seriously, I'm not. No problem. Nope. That's we we want to offer you that that space to to talk through these things if you're willing. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Well. You mentioned that uh, the, one of the frustrations is seeing Christians fight about things they ought not to be fighting over. I want to move into a a semi rapid fire session sure. here 10 topics we'll see how rapid yeah we'll this see that's i said semi-rapid fire <laughs> <laughs> keep it quick and slick if you want yeah. <clears throat> i think you get a lot of mileage out of your last name don't you <laughs> yes i do i paid for it i suffered for it i'm gonna use it that's right <laughs> very good but 10 topics uh, i want you to tell us how serious of an issue that you think it is and then you can add whatever additional commentary okay. you want to do all right first the trinity critically important. You cannot justify anything in the world philosophically, logically, theologically without the doctrine of the Trinity. To the point. Love it. Expand, but that's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of these you'll want to expand a little bit. Trinity is pretty straightforward. Um, Second one, local church government structure, the ecclesiology of a local church, what they decide to do, elders, pastors, deacons, all that stuff. It should be Presbyterian. The Greek word for elders is presbuteros, and uh, that's where you get Presbyterian. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 5.17, let the elders who rule well, the elders is the word pre, uh, presbuteros or presbuteroi. First Timothy. First, did I, what did I say? First Peter? You said Corinthians. I said First Corinthians? It's First Timothy yeah. 5.17. Wow, thank you. Hey, that's good. <laughs> you got that. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, Presby- we're Presbyterian in our leadership here, so I'm, I'm tracking with you. Very good. I actually blew that one. Um, anyway, and you cross-reference that with 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 3, and you can get into the male necessity of headship with the doctrine of federal headship, etc. But it's supposed to be male leadership in eldership and in the diaconate, the, the deacons. And um, that's how it's supposed to be. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. And I tell people that that's what it says. Women pastors are not biblical, should not occur. And so that's how it's supposed to be in the church. All right, next is Seventh-day Adventism. Bad. Next. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm very curious. I mean, are you... Are you taking the position with SDA groups like you do with Roman Catholic Roman Catholics? I was going to say Roman Catholicism, but is it the same view that if you if they believe the official doctrine, they're going to hell? Yes, if they believe official SDA theology, there's some serious problems. The problem with with SDA theology is it's not as precise as it needs to be uh, in some areas because there's some contradictions that they have that are not a officially stated. For example, uh, LNG White uh, taught what's called the investigative judgment. The problem here is that I've talked with SDA experts who say different things, that she was teaching that your judgment of salvation is based on that judgment that, that, that is going to happen. And what's the judgment based on? Your goodness and your works, law-keeping. Well, that's damnable doctrine. I've had other experts say, no, we don't affirm that but we affirm justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So now what do you do? And because I've experienced this among the SDA people, what I, I will say is that instead of saying official, because I get in different things about what official is, I should say that if they believe in the investigative judgment and they teach that our sins are put upon Satan, which is what they teach and cast mm-hmm. out, then I would doubt that they could be saved. 
If they also teach that you must worship on Saturday to be a true Christian, well then forget that, they're, they're, they're outside because they're adding a requirement to salvation. So the other two issues are a bit of a gray area. And as I say with people, um, like someone might say, for example, they don't believe in the Trinity. It doesn't mean they're not saved. They just may not understand what it is, and we need to talk to them, you know, and 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 stuff. If, in that analogy, someone after several days refused to believe in the Trinity, uh, okay, you're probably not saved then. But even then, maybe not. You know, it, it, maybe it might be. Sure. It just depends. So the same kind of a thing comes across with this issue of SDA. So I never recommend anybody join the SDA church because of its legalism and these potential errors that are there. But I do know that there's some SDA people who affirm the essentials of the Christian faith and don't deny them. And that there are others who do. And they both will claim official standing from the representative groups, uh, areas in the SDA. And I haven't been able to discern which one is the official official doctrine mm. so that's why i'm a little bit ambivalent about it um mm. so that's why topic number four politics how serious should uh, we take this extremely serious because if you understand the lordship of jesus christ you'll know that he said give to caesar what is caesar's and what it belongs to man what is man uh, or what god is god so he's saying obey the law he was making uh, commands regarding the government also Romans 13 talks about this i've written an article recently um when to obey and disobey civil government because according to scripture we are obligated to take it very seriously we are obligated to be involved in politics now some people say that separation of church and state that's a load of crap sorry don't accept that it's not biblical. We are to be involved in politics, we're to be involved in the media, we're to be involved in uh, news, we're to be involved in everything that we can as Christians. Get off your lazy rears and get out there in the world and start uh, making mistakes like I do as you're going out to preach the gospel. And God is sovereign. And so we should be involved in politics. We should never vote for anybody who supports abortion or homosexuality or socialism. Because socialism is against scripture. And um, I can tell you and show you the model of Christian uh, government that is declared in scripture. And um, people say, well, they might be listening, saying, well, Matt, you're just too harsh. Oh, I guess you don't believe God's word. That's what it comes down to. If I quote you the scriptures and it says such and such and you don't believe it, you call me harsh. That's your problem. Jesus overturned the temple tables. He called people whitewashed sepulchers. Paul went around and he told people, you're believing in a false God. And he warned the Corinthians and he corrected people. But also within all that were periods of love and examples of sacrifice and this full scope of what the gospel message is represented in, in Christ and the apostles is what we need to represent. Real men, real godly men are supposed to stand up for righteousness. Real men. Uh, are supposed to do that. I think it's First uh, Corinthians sixteen thirteen. You know, be men, uh, act like men, be strong, and we're to be loving in that. We're to emulate Jesus Christ. Don't just hold put your finger, hold it up in the doctrinal air, and see which way is blowing. And I don't want to offend anybody. Crap on that. <laughs> if we don't offend anybody, we can't preach the gospel. The gospel that offends nobody is not the gospel of the Bible. And the fact that someone like me who speaks like this is being used, and this is my honest opinion means that God raises up people for the needs of the time. If the Christian church is this weak, it needs a strong message. 
because that's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. That's what Peter did. The message of truth in the midst of compromise and persecution. And I'm not saying I'm like them. The only way I'm like the apostles is in their sin. That's it. I take no credit for anything good in me at all. It's always Jesus. But we need to be strong in this world. We've got to stand up on the power of that gospel and move forward. And it's the men's fault in the church why the Christian church is failing. It's the men's fault, not the women. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and she sinned first, she gave the fruit to Adam and then he sinned and they both hid themselves. The pre-incarnate Christ came and said to the man, where are you? He didn't address the woman first, he said to the man because of what's called federal headship. We men are the ones responsible. So I urge men, get off your lazy rears and in love, lead your wives, serve in the church. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Do you want to see what mistakes are? Follow me and I'll show you plenty of them. I've made more than all of you combined. And the reason is because I'm so foolish and arrogant and prideful and so in love with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that that combination is a mess <laughs> and I move forward anyway because I can't keep my mouth shut. I've got to speak for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you have someone like that who's so impolished, crude, makes mistakes, it's going to happen a lot. But I just trust my Lord and move forward. That needs to be the attitude of, in my opinion, of most men. Amen. Amen. Fifth issue, tobacco and alcohol use. Uh, tobacco, uh, you know, I don't smoke tobacco. I have a cigar about once a year with my buds while we take our finger, point it up in the air and talk smack about somebody else. It's great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a great time. Oh, it is. You know, you just go in there, you, just, you, go, like you smoke it, you get fingers up in the air and you go, yeah, Jeremy guy, man, <laughs> stupid beard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we just mock anybody, uh, mock ourselves even. It's just what you do and uh, just mocking. And so the, it, it's fun. I have a few guys I do that with about once a year, get together. And um, so, you know, cigarettes are, aren't good for you. Alcohol is not good for you. But here's something that's interesting. In Proverbs 31, 6, God says, uh, give strong drink to the man who's uh, in, uh, perishing and wine to the one who's in distress and let him forget his troubles. And the people aren't, aren't, you know, they're going, what? No, no, Jesus in John 2, when he made the wine, it was alcohol. It, it wasn't alcohol. It was grape juice. <laughs> Um, they wouldn't let Jesus in their own church. He hung around with uh, tax gatherers and drunkards and sinners and stuff like that. But uh, it's okay to have a drink. Don't get drunk. It's okay to have alcohol if you want. It's not, it's not a big deal. Um, just don't let it rule you and don't do it in such a way that it's going to be a bad witness. And, and that's it. If you want to smoke a cigarette, I don't recommend it. The Bible doesn't talk about it. But hey, you know what? I'll still fellowship with you. All right. And, uh, Stuff like that. So there you go. Number six of the 10. Uh, how serious is a believer's personal commitment to the local church? Hey, who cares? Uh, we sh <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> we should be committed to the local church uh, because we need the local church for fellowship, correction, admonition, teaching, and things like that. You should be committed. Some churches have... Uh, membership requirements, and, and I don't see membership requirements in Scripture, so I don't affirm them. However, they do have their place. Uh, certain membership roles are, are, are legally smart. 
um, if a church requires that, uh, generally I won't go to it. Um, that's just my opinion. I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying if you don't, if you want to do it, that's fine. You know, that that's okay. Uh, but I, I just, it's just, okay, you require membership. I don't see it in the scripture and I'm going to go someplace else. Uh, if, if there was a church that was the only good church in an area and they required membership, I would go. I just wouldn't join up as a church, as a member. And then I wouldn't be allowed to teach or preach. And uh, so, okay, I'll go, I'll go to the uh, tax gatherers and the sinners instead and, uh, and, and teach, to, teach them and, and stuff like that. But we should be involved in local church. Absolutely. We should. Maybe I should try going again sometime. I don't know. Check it out. Oh, I was just there Sunday. I was there at church. I'm just teasing. Uh, next issue. <laughs> <laughs> you guys weren't expecting this, were you? No, not quite. It's good. It's great. We love it. He uh, says it, but we'll see. What it, talking out of the air. Get a lot of editing. <laughs> no editing here. No. Okay. Oh, really? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I can really open up. That's right. Open up on this one. Age of the Earth. Twice as old as half. Um, I don't, it's not millions of years old. There's too much evidence against it. Uh, you have uh, pleochloic halos. You have uh, polystrate fossils in 600 million years of rock strata. You have uh, carbon-14, which is a, an unstable isotope with a half-life of 5,370 years, uh, which means that after 100,000 years, it will not exist and be, or can even be detectable inside of any uh, X biological material. What I mean by that is you have a, I use a squirrel, squirrel eats nuts, and because of nitrogen-14 in the atmosphere and some other things, it gets input in the system, and the carbon-14 there, not carbon-12 or 13, which are stable, but carbon-14, and uh, <clears throat> then as soon as the, the organism dies, it starts, um, the, the carbon-14 half-life procedure starts decaying. And so that means that after 100,000 years, if you found a, a frozen uh, uh, squirrel and 100,000 years old, if it's 100,000 years old, there won't be any carbon-14 in it. Well, diamonds take millions of years to form, and coal takes millions of years to form, and they're finding carbon-14 in coal and in diamonds which means it can't be millions of years old. Impossible. Also, some of the dating methods, uh, thorium, uh, uh, uranium-238, 235, they're coming up with uh, solarium, they're coming up with different uh, methods, and they're giving contradictory ages. And so we can't trust the dating methods of the old Earth, um, and therefore evolution can't work, and I can get into the information issues and mathematical permutations of eight biogenesis if you want but uh this is why uh, evolution sucks canal water that's an official statement it doesn't work uh, macro doesn't on micro does but um uh, so the earth is probably six to ten thousand years old that's my opinion <clears throat> is it a big deal if some someone claims the name of christ and also claims it's millions of years old it depends uh you, there are Christians who hold to it being millions years of years, of, of years old, and I haven't got into the different theories dealing with relativity, the expansion of the Earth, the light issue, and how you can have uh, an older Earth now and a younger Earth, uh, younger universe due to relativity is way beyond my comprehension. So, if someone is stating that uh, the Earth is millions of years old, what else are they stating? Are they stating, well, yeah, Adam and Eve evolved. Okay, we got a problem. But if they were to say 
It's millions of years old. And then God, at a certain point, created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden. Uh, okay, you know, they're, they're saved, you know, that kind of thing. So. All right. Uh, a little nervous to bring this one up. Oh, good. How how serious uh, in, well, yeah, what are your thoughts on how serious is the topic of UFOs and aliens? Love UFOs. Um, I've been studying UFOs for uh, decades. And um, uh, UFOs are real. They actually exist. The question is, what are they? They've been recorded throughout history and um, stuff. They teach theology. And the theology they teach is not all of them do, but a lot of abductees teach, uh, say that they teach theology. That Jesus is not God. The uh, reincarnation is true and we're all divine. Why would aliens teach theology? It's not mentioned hardly at all, uh, ever, but they do teach it. There's only one instance of, of a Christian being abducted, and it was a woman who gave permission. There's also instances of whenever uh, people call out the name of Jesus in their abduction, that uh, the it ends quickly, and they're, they're back safe and sound. So these are, are things that have been recorded, and uh, it's, it's mathematically impossible for life to form by chance any place in the universe. I can go through that and explain why, but it's impossible. So if any life occurs, it's only because God created it. And... Um, uh, there's nothing in the scripture that says there's life out there other than an the angelic realm, et, et cetera. But um, uh, I believe that these UFOs are demonic manifestations. That's that's what I believe. I can get into more about that. But uh, yeah, I know a lot about this stuff. So it's yeah. people think I'm really whacked when I talk about that. <laughs> you're crazy. We, we love you, but you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I study everything. And I've seen pictures from the 1800s of them holding up aliens. Um, and uh, cross-reference that with a, a wacko guy with a hair worse than mine who mentions uh, seeing that very photo and what happened uh, when he mentioned it on the radio show. Uh, people who um, there's anecdotal evidence about uh, uh, drive systems that are developed out of putting flat plates together and shooting uh, photons inside. And um, the resulting uh, field that occurs, uh, there's there's all kinds of stuff. How much of it is true? Uh, don't know. But when you start hearing the same kind of things all over the place for decades, you start developing a theory. I was on a chat room one day, and this we were talking about aliens, and I was hesitant to say a whole much. I haven't even told you everything I, I, I can talk about in that respect. But um, this guy and I started kind of, so to speak, filling each other out uh, verbally. I could tell he knew stuff about this topic. We went into a private discussion and he said, look, man, we know who you are. I said, we? He goes, yeah. He says, there's a group of us, Christians, who study this stuff. And we're familiar with your site. You know, we just know who you are, whatever, I'm a public figure. And he said, so, uh, he goes, that's why I'm talking to you. And I said, okay. I said, I said can I, and he's, he says he's been, he and his other contacts, contacts uh have been studying this for decades as well and i said good can i run a theory by you and i ran this theory by him and he goes that's what we we believe too and so um let me just say this i'm going to read a verse to you guys um it's starting to sound like gnosticism a little bit a little here. bit <laughs> yeah it does but it's i'm trying not to say too much but um uh but yeah I could, at any rate 
in, in Genesis chapter six, the Nephilim. Um, well, I believe that I believe the aliens are Nephilim. I, I, I suspect that they are that they're half breeds between fallen angels that are still occurring. And people go, "You're whacked, Matt." Uh, well, let's go to Genesis six, and you can read. But it says in Genesis six that uh, Noah's. Uh, was perfect in all his generations, all his ancestry. Uh, there's a lot of evidence for for the half breed stuff that the Jews have always taught that, and the church always taught it up to the fifteen hundreds. Yeah, they show up again in what, like First Samuel or something like that. Yes, the they Nephilim do. The Anakim and the Nephilim. And what's interesting is if you go to Daniel two forty three, it says something very interesting. This is the end of the the uh, vision of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, you know, the uh, gold, silver, bronze, and all that down to the clay. And that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seat of men, but they will not adhere to one another. They will combine with one another in the seat of men, that they can't be, be people the way the construction is. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For they were eating, they were drinking, they were giving in marriage till the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and took them all away. Matthew 7, that's Matthew 24, but Luke 17 says, the flood came and destroyed them all. The wicked are the ones who are destroyed. And so Jesus says at the end of the age, you go to Matthew 13, that he will come and take out of his kingdom the wicked. And... He says, and this is going to mess you guys up. In Matthew 13. No, we're dispensational. We, we can't be messed up. Oh, I can mess you up. Oh, I can mess you up. In Matthew 13, 30, um, Jesus says the first ones taken are the wicked, not the good. And that's what he says. And so could it be that this UFO stuff, all this stuff is part and parcel to a great deception coming? Signs in the heaven as it was in days of Noah? Uh, we don't know. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot more Christian theologians are holding on to this as they look at it and wonder if it's the case. We don't know if it is, but this is just fun conspiracy theory stuff that I love to, to, um, <laughs> to put forth. And obviously we know it must be true because, uh, the far left Democrats obviously are Nephilim, obviously. <laughs> <clears throat> the lizard people, right? Isn't that, uh, that's, that's right. Another... In fact, yeah. my favorite conspiracy theory is that uh, <laughs> the reptilian aliens are, are breeding with Nazis in underground cities. And when they get enough population, they're going to surface and take over the world. The, they're called the Anunnaki. Uh-huh. I, I want to believe it. It's just so too good. You know? It's just too good. <laughs> it's just too good of a theory. It's, it's a waste. Oh, man. Well, the yeah, this is all stuff that's out there, you know. <laughs> and you guys are like, I was saving my dispensationalism. Now what do I do? <laughs> well, to take a take a step back from from <laughs> all of this, <laughs> uh, we're tr- working through this list of of ten topics. Okay. Bring us uh, back into the realm of that people might be a little bit might be a little more comfortable in deity of christ how important is this issue deity of christ it's critical you don't affirm the deity of, uh, of christ you're lost jesus has two natures divine nature and a human nature it's called the hypostatic union and if you don't affirm that uh we need, we need to talk to you if you continue to deny that you really can't be a true christian and he has to be god in order to offer a sacrifice of divine value to God the Father, he has to be human in order to, to offer sins, uh, sin offering on our behalf. <clears throat> Jesus still is a man right now, 
He will always be a man right now. And a lot of people don't know that his back was ripped open and his wrists were, were the nails were here, not here in the palm. They were here. This, this is considered part of the hand. And so it says hand. They don't have a word for wrist. And so um, he's, he's, he had, after his resurrection, he said to Thomas, in John 20, 25 through 28, he says, put your hand into my side and your finger into my hand, which means after his resurrection in his glorified body, he retained the crucifixion wounds. Hmm. So right now in the throne, it appears from scripture, there's a man sitting there with his beard plucked from his face, his back ripped open, holes in his feet, in his hands, and his side with a a hole and it big enough to put your hand into it. And this is who he is. And it looks like he forever will be like that. It seems to be the case. We can't, I won't die in that hill, but it seems to be the case. And <clears throat> he has to be a, um, a man in order to be a priest. The reason Jesus was baptized was to fulfill righteousness. Matthew three fifteen. to fulfill what that's old Testament to fulfill the requirements of, uh, of entering into the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews 5, 20, uh, and 6, uh, oh, it's been a while, 620, Hebrews 6, 20, and 725, I believe it is. So, yeah, 725, <clears throat> he always lives to make intercession for the saints. That's right, and because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews 620. Yes. Well, what was his fulfillment of the baptism for? This, I'll explain, which is why he has to be a man still in order to be a high priest, to still because he lives to make intercession forever. Okay. Yes. So if he's not a priest, he can't. Not a man, he can't be a high priest. If he's not a high priest, he can't make intercession. So when he was baptized, it looks like he was fulfilling the requirements of entering into the priesthood. <clears throat> and I'm going to probably offend some people here. But um, uh, uh, I, I think you've offended everyone already. So everyone, uh, if they're still listening, <clears throat> I think they're okay. Here you go. Some more um, <laughs> is that uh, that according to Leviticus chapter eight, Numbers chapter four, and Exodus twenty nine, that part of the requirements was that he had to have be thirty years of age, which he was thirty. A verbal blessing given to him, uh, blessing that my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Um, <clears throat> he had to have oil anointing, which the, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit, 1 John 2, 27, and had to be sprinkled with water. And this is out of uh, Numbers 8, 7. I did a search on this and found that in the context of entering into the priesthood, no immersion was ever mentioned, but always a sprinkling. And the system of the sprinkling is the application of the element to the object. Blood is sprinkled on something water and oil are sprinkled on something as a symbol of anointing. Uh, in my opinion, Jesus was sprinkled according to the law. And I can get into the word baptism. I can discuss it a lot about... about and coming this. up out of the water meant <clears throat> after getting the sprinkling out of his Absolutely. Eyes. Because uh, if you've ever been to the beach, uh, this is what I do with people. I, I try and teach them logic. Uh, you know, when I used to live in Southern California, our, our three daughters would be in the water up to their knees. We'd say, come out of the water. They were in the water, right? And so to say in the water means immersion can't be demonstrated. Plus, plus the Bible says, for example, in Acts 2.28, uh, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon people. And the pouring 
is always how the Bible prophesies the coming of the Spirit in the Old Testament, the pouring forth, pouring forth. And in Acts uh, 217, 217, 217.17, <clears throat> says this is to fulfill what was written, and the Holy Spirit will be poured forth, right? Well, when you yeah. go to Acts chapter 1, verse 5, uh, John baptized you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, that must mean that the baptism there is the pouring forth of the Spirit. So the word baptism there must mean pouring. And so I show people this kind of stuff. I could show you where baptism must be in the context of sprinkling in the New Testament. I can show you. I show it to people that go, uh, and then when I show them that Jesus had to be sprinkled, uh, uh, you know, and I say baptism is used in different contexts, different ways. And people say it has to mean immersion. Show me that in scripture. And, and and all this is to say yes, Jesus is God. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> I got, I got sidetracked. Uh, and you're right. Sorry about that. Uh, and uh, because he has to be, he had no, to be baptized okay. to enter okay. into the priesthood in order to be a high priest. That's why he was baptized, and so that's why he's God in flesh. Thank you for getting me back on track. <laughs> totally okay. Um, I told you I could mess so, you guys up. N- n- number ten, last one on the list. Uh, again. <clears throat> Your, your commentary, how serious, etc. cetera. I, I present this one with a bit of fear and trembling. Um, <laughs> you're, you're in Idaho. You're in Nampa. Yeah. You're not far from Moscow, Doug Wilson uh-huh. and Christ Church. Yeah. What's, what's, what's your evaluation of what's going on there? They have a lot of influence these days. Yeah, federal uh, headship, or the federal vision doctrine. Federal vision. And um, some of the issues there. What I might, I'll, I'll just get to the cut to the chase. Some of the stuff that's being taught deals with covenant keeping and the covenant boundaries, and that in order to be right with God, you've got to keep the covenant boundaries. If they're saying, I need to verify this, if they're saying that you have to keep covenants in order to keep inside the covenant boundary of God to maintain salvation, then then he's teaching heresy. And I don't know if he is or not, but I did talk to his son directly once in Santa Cruz, California. And um, I said, wait a minute, are you telling me that your father's teaching that you have to keep the covenant boundaries. There are certain lessons of covenants you got to keep in order to, to stay in the covenant with God and, and be saved. He said, yes. That's what he told me. I said, well, that's heresy. That's false teaching. It's a false gospel. And um, so I'm only telling you that's what his son told me. Now, is that what he's holding now? I don't know. Have I verified everything? No, I haven't. <laughs> I just got too much to do. So you're not buddy buddy with? I mean, obviously Idaho is huge, and it's like yeah. you're 300 miles apart. Right. It's not like you're next door, but right. um, yeah, you guys aren't aren't uh, rubbing shoulders too much, then, huh? Yeah, it, it's a big state. It takes uh, from left to right takes about seven hours to drive across the state. At my speed, it's like 30 minutes, but for normal people, it's about uh, seven hours. <clears throat> gotcha. So, and then uh, yeah, Moscow is how they pronounce it. Is uh, north of me about three or four hours yeah yeah but, but you know so that's the only thing i have and and i don't, don't know enough to be able to say for sure so you know yeah it is interesting i mean obviously they're post-millennial and post-millennialism seems to be trending a little bit these days um, yeah. which is interesting it's an interesting movement to to follow as someone who's not post-mill yeah i'm a pessimistic all millennialist um and I can def- Most all millennialists are, which I think shows that they're truly pre-millennial. But 
Well, I think post mills are, are optimistic on millennialists who think that the world will be converted. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, premillennialists are just uh, uh, unrealized all millennialists. Uh, you know, so I hope I'm wrong. I got some questions. Yeah, I could ask. critique the eschatology to your right. Yeah, I could <laughs> ask you guys questions that you, from the, that you wouldn't be able to answer from your perspective. Okay. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. (laughs) And then probably the other way too, you know. (laughs) No one has all the answers. Have you back on sometime to talk about aliens and premillennialism, so. Oh, (laughs) and charismatic gifts and women pastors and elders and uh, uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm having fun with you guys, you know. Good. We love it. We enjoy it. Well, we do, uh, as we wrap this up, we, we actually always ask the, all our guests the same question as we conclude. And uh, so we're going to ask that for you. Uh, what parting encouragement do you have for leaders and lay people in the local church as it pertains to living out their unity in Christ, developing convictions on theological matters, and avoiding foolish controversies about less important doctrines? Well, what I would suggest that they do is one simple thing. And that is to spend time on their knees in prayer, period. Um, Because in prayer, we're practicing the presence of God. And in prayer, the more we are there, like Moses, the more our faces will shine. And then when we turn to the word, it will become even more powerful to us and we'll want that word. We need to be in prayer and have that conviction of the power and sufficiency of that word. And that's where pastors need to be. They don't need to worry about how many people come to the church. They don't need to worry about persecution. They don't need to worry about paying their bills. I mean, those things are serious. But the primary thing should be uh, the presence of God and and God working through the pastor to preach and teach according to what God wants for that congregation. The pastors need to take it extremely seriously. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, said Martin Luther. Every time I get up to preach at anybody's pulpit, and I'm an ex-pastor, but I get to preach, you know, I, I just I, I apologize to God. Uh, and I say, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry that I'm, I've got to be the one to get up and speak. And I ask God that you would uh, speak through me in spite of my pride, my arrogance, my foolishness, my lust, my coveting, and that you would speak uh, through me by your grace. And I'm afraid of the pulpit because I'm representing God to his people. And then I want so much to be in that place to speak the truth. And then when I preach, I preach with passion. I raise my voice. I lower my voice. I move forward, move backward. I plead and admonish and beg, sometimes weep, depending on the topic, and ask that the people uh, study that word and be ready to be used of God. That's what needs to happen. And if anybody starts doing that, I suspect their church membership would drop because people are are seeking comfortable uh, messages instead of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into all the world, make disciples, And the word of the pastor is to equip the Christian for the work of ministry. That's what the pastor's supposed to do. And when the pastors repent, and myself included, of our sins 
and start preaching the power of that gospel, then we can change this country. That's what needs to be done. Amen. Good stuff. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today, being generous with your time and uh, letting us take you on a little roller coaster ride there. That was fun. I took you guys on a roller coaster ride. I think I, I you know, uh, <laughs> we knew what we were getting into. We, we were we were leading the way a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, it's we're leading you into those topics. Well, anybody who would lower their standard for me is either not very smart or desperately uh, seeking the truth of God's word and and. You know, they'll try this guy over here. That's, he yells. Can away. we be both? You can be both, I guess. That's right. But, um, yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. We uh, we really appreciate it. Sure. You know, may the Lord be glorified in our efforts. You know, we're His servants, and uh, I, I'm thankful for both of you guys who take the Word of God seriously. So, you know, praise God for you. <laughs>